My name is Wilson, and uh, I help here with the young adults, and I'm actually going to be giving the message this morning. My dad is uh, Van. He's a senior pastor here, and he actually has a privilege right now. Him and my mom are in Cancun, so they just got there yesterday, and we can all just take a moment to seethe in jealousy that they're there and we are here. I know that's what I'm going to be doing all week. We uh, started a series on the gospel a couple weeks ago, and we're going to pick back up on that today. But first, I just really quickly want to mention how awesome last week was. Who all was here last weekend and got to hear our guest speaker, Micah Level? We can just give him a hand. Let's just, yeah. So Micah is a really good friend of mine, and he came and actually led an outreach, which some people from our church participated, and also the team he brought, where we went downtown And last weekend was the Gay Pride Festival in Cincinnati. So we went downtown to Sawyer Point, where it was being held, and took some signs with us. And they weren't the kind of signs that normally you see uh, Christians holding at these kind of events. We had signs that said, smile, God loves you, or uh, free hugs, free encouraging words. And we were going down there just to represent Jesus to to everybody and just say, hey, we love you. And we just want you to know that God loves you. We didn't go down to cast any judgment or to, um, yeah, tell people what they should or shouldn't do. We just wanted to go down with the pure message of God's love. You know, that's really the heart of the gospel is that God loves us. And Micah mentioned it. Micah actually told a couple of cool stories about our time down there. And he said that I was going to tell a couple. Well, I was already scheduled to speak, but I wasn't planning on telling any stories. But I'm going to tell you guys one of, one of my highlights from the day. So we, Micah and I and Jen and Micah's wife, we, we took a sign that said tattoo interpretation. So we were going down with this big sign that said tattoo interpretation and just letting people come up to us. And we were looking at their tattoos. And then based off of their tattoos, we were giving them prophetic words. And so, you know, prophetic words are when we hear or we sense God saying something to us about someone else. And a prophetic word is meant to encourage and strengthen and build somebody up. It's kind of mining through, who all knows that we have dirt in our life? You know, we're all aware of the, the kind of bad stuff about us. And I think we even hear about that a lot. A prophetic word is when you mine through all that dirt and you get to the gold. Because there's gold in everyone in this lives room. There is awesome things about everyone here. And that's really the purpose of a prophetic word is to expose this. So we, uh, we had the sign. And actually the first guy that came up to me, I, I was looking at his tattoo and I started to give him, tell him what I felt like the Lord was saying. And he was like, man, are you a psychic? You should be a tattoo psychic. You should start a TV show on AMC called Tattoo Psychics. <laughs> and so this guy was kind of missing the point. This is the first guy we did. So we were like, God loves you. What? Uh, didn't really know exactly how to handle the situation. But after this, we started getting a little more comfortable and kind of developing, you know, a routine for how we're going to do this. So about a half hour in, we have literally prayed for or prophesied to like 30 people. We have a line coming up behind us because people are just attracted to this, this idea of tattoo interpretation. What is that? I mean, the, the, the area is crowded. Who's all been down to Sawyer Point before? You know where the big Cincinnati statue is? We were right next to that. So there's like literally 500 people, just foot traffic going all over the place. And this young, well, my favorite thing was when a group of people would come up to you. And maybe only one of them would have a tattoo because then you had people on each side that were going to give you hints about whether or not what you were saying was true just by their body language. So a group of three people came up to us 
And the young girl says, here, I want you to interpret my tattoo. And I start, I start looking at it. And I, I always tried to be really kind of like, not make it any spookier or make us seem like we were faking something. I said, okay, I'm just going to see what, I'm going to tell you what I see. And I'm new at this. And uh, yeah, let's just see what happens. So I started looking at it and it was a tattoo of a wolf, like a really kind of epic looking scenery with a wolf crying out like with a moon and there's like pine trees in the background and stuff. And right away, this thought just went through my mind that this girl has been crying out at night and that she's been having a rough time at night. So I just, I literally, that's just the first thing I said. I didn't know what I was going to say next. I said, Hey, I just get this sense that you've been having a hard time lately and you've been like crying out at night. And then the next thought that went through my head was there's some broken relationship in your life. So I said, I just, I'm getting the sense that there's like a broken relationship, maybe with your parents, specifically, I think your dad, like there's something going on between you and your dad. And he just, yeah, you guys are really having a break. And at this point, her friends are starting to look at her like, and start elbowing her. What is this? Who, how does he know this? And she's literally on the brink of tears at this point. And I just said, so like, does that ring true at all to you? And I don't be nice to me. Please tell me the truth. I'm just learning. And she said, yeah, that is literally exactly what I'm going through. My dad and I's relationship is really broken right now. And I said, I'm just, the next thought that just went through my mind was there needs to be forgiveness. There's unforgiveness going on. So I just said that to her. I said, you know, I get this sense that there's in this breaking relationship, one of you guys isn't forgiving the other. And if it's you, I just want you to know that forgiveness is so powerful. And so then we actually got to lead her through what it looks like to forgive her dad and to release that forgiveness into his life, that mercy. The misconception we have a lot of times is that forgiveness is something weak people do. We think, oh, if I forgive them, that means that I'm saying that they're right and I'm wrong or that I'm kind of giving in. But really, forgiveness is the most powerful act, one of the most powerful acts we can do. What did, what did Jesus do for us when he was on the cross? He forgave us our sins. That, that, is what, that is a model of what love is, what Jesus looked like on the cross, forgiving our sins, wiping them away so they wouldn't, they wouldn't affect us anymore. That is, um, that's really what we're going to kind of focus on today. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, we're focusing on the cross. Luke spoke uh, three weeks ago about the cross, or about two weeks ago about the cross. And he really focused on the fact that the cross frees us from guilt. That we're no longer in a guilt trip. And uh, yeah, we don't have to feel bad about ourselves all the time. Today, what I'm going to focus on is that the cross is an instrument of death. And the really cool thing is that these powerful concepts in the Bible, like communion, um, baptism, the cross, they all have so much that goes into them. So many different kind of like facets and aspects to them that we can really spend our whole lives learning about them. Like, I'm sure that we all have heard multiple sermons about the cross before, but I'm just hoping that today there's going to be a little bit extra understanding that goes on, or just maybe some new lights will pop on. And I'll be honest with you guys, my dad could probably give this message better than I could, but he's not here, so you guys are going to have to listen to me. <laughs> so to start, I'm just going to pray. So Lord, we just thank you for going to the cross for us. We just thank you. We, we can't say thank you enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just let, um, we just welcome your presence to come here today and just to begin to reveal and open our eyes to really the depth of what that means. 
We say, you know, we want to be changed and we want to understand things in a new way. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, so just a moment ago, I mentioned how at the cross, Jesus took all our sins and that he forgave us for all of them. This is really, this is the point of my message today is that because of the cross, we're set free from our old nature and from sin. Now, I think that for me, we, we believe this and we've heard this growing up all the time, but for some reason, we don't always believe it, it seems like. Like, yeah, maybe we believe that we died to sin. You know, Jesus was crucified and we died to sin. But we're, what we're experiencing is a totally different reality. We're still stuck in our old ways of doing things. We're still lying, cheating, stealing, lusting, fighting, hating, whatever. Whatever, we're still experiencing shame and condemnation. All of that stuff was paid for on the cross. We were supposed to be set free from that. It's not, it's not our uh, makeup anymore. It's not our DNA. And I begin to ask myself, if we really, really believe that we died to sin and that sin no longer has power over us, then how come we're not living it out? And I'm not you know, pointing a finger at anybody except for myself. This is something that I've had, you know, I'm trying to understand and I hope that, yeah, what I say today kind of, what, what I've been learning about it, I hope you guys get to glean a little bit from that. So I'm just bringing to you guys what I feel like God's been speaking to me. But we have to ask ourselves, if we don't really, if our life isn't really reflecting that, then one of two things is true. Either we never really accepted Christ in the first place. We had some kind of experience that wasn't actually maybe legitimate or really, it wasn't really us receiving Christ into our life and becoming changed in a new person. That's option one. Or option two is that we don't really understand what that means. How many of you guys know it doesn't do us much good to believe something we don't understand? I believe that gravity is you know, happening right now. I don't totally understand it. So there's this, there's this new realization that comes in when we actually understand what's happening. So like I said, really what I want to focus on today is that the cross is an instrument of death. The point of the cross is to kill things. At the cross is where Jesus died, where Jesus was killed, and it's also where the power of sin was killed. The power of sin was killed at the cross. When we accept Jesus into our life, the very first thing we're doing, the very first invitation he gives us is to die. The very first thing we can do when we accept Christ in our life is to die. That's, that's exciting, right? I'm hearing everybody yeah, get excited about that. Our first thing we can do is die. And what I mean by this is, our old nature, our old self that is led by sin can be crucified and it's, it's done away with. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So what I want to emphasize is that I have been crucified with Christ. Our old nature was put away with, it was killed, and it's now done. Genesis 8.21 says that every inclination of a man's heart is evil from childhood. 
So that means that from the very beginning, the most, our most natural thing to do is actually to sin. We don't have to like try to or figure it out. It's just the natural thing. We're born into a world and we're born with a nature that just sins. When I was like six years old, my mom took me to PetSmart to buy a food, uh, to buy dog food for our, our dog. And I remember walking through the store and seeing these huge bins of dog treats that you could like scoop out with a spoon, like a big spoon and put them in a bag. And being six years old, I thought all those looked good. I thought maybe some of those would be tasty. So, you know, the little dog treats actually look like a T-bone and they're actually colored like that. I took one of those and put it in my pocket and I thought I'm gonna eat this later. Now, I remember when I put that in my pocket that I knew I shouldn't be doing that, but I, I, I did it still. I didn't really totally understand. I didn't know any better. I said, okay, I'm going to take this. Now, on the way home, I showed my mom and, you know, she said, well, you know, that's stealing. Explain that all to me. We went and took it back. But the point is that at a very young age, just as a little kid, I stole. I did, that was just normal for me. I didn't know any better. Somebody had to tell me that that wasn't right. It was just... It was just a simple and normal thing for me to do. And that's, when we're, that's what we're like when we're born. Sin, shame, condemnation, lying, stealing, all of these things, that's just the natural thing we do. The good news is that when Jesus was crucified, he killed the power of sin. He took away the power of sin. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. So we ask, what are the powers and authorities? The powers and authorities are the kingdom of darkness. That's Satan, the devil. That's sin, the power that sin has over us. And it says that Jesus disarmed it. He triumphed over it. He shamed it. Jesus stripped away the power that that had in our life. He said, come, come to me and die and that part of you dies and I'll give you a new self and I'm stripping away sin's power over you. Sin is no longer going to be your driving force and what's most natural for you to do. This is, this is one of the most, this is one of the things I love the most about the cross and just the whole gospel message is that it's really straightforward. It's easy for us to overlook that, to overlook how straightforward it is. We just consider what did Jesus do on the cross? What did he do on the cross? He died. What happened to the power of sin on the cross? It died. What happens when we come to Christ and we, when we're crucified with Christ? The same thing. The power of sin dies. This is a truth that I promise you is true if you believe in Jesus. If you accept it in your life, this is true. I just want to say that one more time. Everyone in this room who's accepted Christ in your life Sin has no hold over you. Sin does not have a hold over you if you've accepted Jesus into your life. I want to go further into this idea now so that we can um, really kind of take an understanding of why it has no hold over us. Because like I said before, if we believe something that we don't really understand, it's not always going to really be beneficial to us. So like I said, in Galatians 2.20, we have been crucified with Christ. Our old self is done away with. And the question is, what is, what hap, what is, repla what is replaced that now? If our old self was crucified, what's the new part? Like, how, how are we to not sin anymore? 
And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So the old has gone and the new has come. Now we ask ourselves, what is the new? Romans 6.18 says, You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Earlier on in Romans 6, it says that, we're, that we were slaves to sin. So we literally do a 180 and we're changed from our natural inclination being to sin to now our natural inclination being to not sin. We used to sin. That was our natural thing to do. Now we don't sin anymore. And that's not our natural thing to do. And yeah, I recognize, like I said in the beginning, that this isn't something we always experience. And this is kind of, this might even bring a little kind of anxiety. Like, well, I know I've really accepted Jesus, but I still feel like I sin a lot. And I'm just, that's my normal thing to do. In fact, Romans six eleven says, we are dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to sin. So I don't want to put a stumbling block for anybody. If you, know, you really believe this, let's go, let's go even further into kind of understanding what that means that we're dead to sin. We have this new nature. I said, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. These new creation selves are just like Adam and Eve. These new creations, their nature is just designed not to sin anymore. But how many of you know that Adam and Eve still sinned? So the fact that we have a new creation body, the fact that we're a new person, doesn't mean that we're incapable of sinning. It just means that we're no longer programmed to sin. Does that make sense? Adam and Eve did not have a sin nature. They were made perfect, and that, that's honestly the plan that all of us were supposed to live out, was living just like them, with no shame, no condemnation. They, they didn't have a sin nature, but they still sinned. The only way that we can sin is if we believe a lie. When we believe a lie about God or a lie about ourself, this, the ability to sin bursts onto the scene and becomes a reality for us. When we believe a lie about God or ourself, the ability to sin becomes very real for us. And it actually will become a habit. When I was about 13 years, or about 12 years old, we, uh, this church was still meeting in the YMCA then. And we actually didn't have Saturday night services yet, but we were just getting going. The YMCA was gracious to let us meet in their basement. And anyways, one night, my mom comes and wakes me up at about 1230 at night. And she's like shaking me. She's kind of freaking out a little bit. Like, I need your help. Wake up, wake up, come downstairs. And I know, I'm, I'm really confused, like kind of alarmed. What's going on? I figured she's not waking my dad up because he has to preach in the morning. So I'm really confused. Like, what could this be that she's not waking my dad up, but she's this freaked out? Like she was totally befuddled. So she brings me, I put a shirt on. She brings me downstairs. I said, mom, what's the deal? What's going on? And she said, there's a big spider that I need you to kill. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, here we go. I'll kill this spider for you. No big deal. And really the secret I'm going to let you guys in on since my parents aren't here is she wasn't worried about my dad not getting enough sleep. She just knows that he's more scared of spiders than either of us. 
So she brings me downstairs and she's just, man, she's like, she's about shaking. She's really nervous. I'm confused. Like, it's just a spider. Like, totally. Yeah. I'm scared of spiders too. I don't like them, but why are you freaking out that much? So she explains to me then that I I said, well, how did you find it? How did you see the spider? And she says, it ran across my chest. (laughs) So she was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden this big wolf spider, I kid you not about the size of like a good tomato slice. It was big, a big wolf spider. We live down, down in the woods. So we get some really uh, creepy critters coming into our house. So this spider runs across my mom's chest and she runs upstairs, wakes me up, brings me downstairs and asks me to kill it. I say, okay, well, where is it? Show me where it is. And she said, she won't even, she won't even show me. She's just like standing right here. There's a wall. She's pointing. It's over there. It's around, it's around the wall over there. Like, okay. So I go and I take a peek. I see it and it's, man, yeah, it's big, ugly thing. And it's sitting right on top of one of our vents. You know, those like air ducts that have like all the tiny slats in them. So it's right on top of that. So I run upstairs and I get a flip-flop. How many of you guys know that flip-flops are like the best bug killing device? (laughs) If you have a big hairy spider in your house, you better not go get a fly swatter. You need something with some girth behind it. So I go and get the, I go and get the uh, really aerodynamic flip-flop, you know, plenty of smacking ability. I bring it downstairs and, you know, really confidently, I just come over there like no big deal. And I just smack it and what? No, I come over. I'm really nervous. I'm standing back and I hit it like 20 times. I like, it bursts into pieces. And actually that vent with all those edges on it acted like knives. So it's literally in like 20 pieces. I hit it so many times. I probably threw that flip-flop away. It's covered in like spider juice. <laughs> so I pick the spider up and, you know, with a napkin, I had to pick up a few different pieces and I go and flush it down the toilet. And I say, okay, mom, is everything all right now? Yeah, thank you, honey. You can go back to bed now. So I go back to bed. Now, does my mom have any, re- did she have any reason from then on to be scared of that spider? No, it's dead, right? It was literally flushed down the toilet. How many of you guys know that when a bug crawls across you, you can feel that for a couple hours? (laughs) You know, that's scary, right? You like literally, it feels like it's repetitively just going back over you wherever it touched you. So does that feeling, does that feeling mean that there's really a spider on you? Does that feeling that you're used to mean that there's really still a bug on you? No, that's just a lie. Your mind is believing. Your mind is tricking you. This is the same thing with our old sin nature. Sometimes that old sin nature runs back across us through the form of a lie. And we have to remember, no, that was killed at the cross with Jesus. That no longer has power over me. That old feeling we get, that doesn't mean that that's our nature anymore. We have to reject that idea, reject that lie and proceed. We have to set our mind on on the truth. And the truth is that you are a new creation. Scripture memory is a humongous component in this. I'm just going to be honest with you. I I hear different people's takes on wanting to memorize scripture, not wanting to memorize on, not wanting to memorize scripture. I'm not good at memorizing scripture. I understand that. I'm telling you, it is crucial in your Christian life to memorize scripture. Start with 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. 
when you feel that spider run across your chest, you remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you're a new creation. I want to talk a little bit more though about this idea of, of lies. So in the uh, creation account, or not in the creation account, but in Genesis, early on in Genesis, when the fall of man happened, so it's just Adam and Eve in the garden, and God tells them, you can eat of any fruit in this whole garden, just do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for you will surely die. Then the serpent comes along, and the serpent, this is Satan, he comes along and he tells Eve, I'm going to read you guys in Genesis 3. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, regarding eating from that fruit, eating from that tree. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This was a lie. He was telling them a lie. They, when they ate of that fruit, they spiritually died. They didn't physically die in that moment, but they spiritually died. So they were believing a lie about God. They were believing on something that was not true about God. They were choosing to say, okay, I know God said that I'll die if I eat this, but someone else said I won't. And they chose to believe the other person and not God. So when they believed that lie, it empowered the ability for them to sin. When we believe a lie about God or about ourselves, we're empowering something false that's actually counter to our very nature. And that's when we fall into sinning. So how do we deal with this? How do we, how do we deal with no longer believing lies? We have to identify them and confess them. It's a, it's a really good practice just to say, Lord, when you're maybe by yourself, you're driving to work, or just when you're having a, a time just focused on him, just to say, Lord, please reveal to me a lie I believe about you or a lie I believe about myself. And when you ask God this, he is so happy to come and speak to you. He is so happy to come and reveal the truth to you and empower you to live the life that he actually died for us to live. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could keep struggling with sin. He died on the cross so that our old self that naturally sinned would die and we could then be slaves to righteousness. People who were not struggling with sin. So what I, what I was saying before is just ask the Lord, ask God, God, what is a, are there any lies I believe about you or about myself? And I'm gonna be honest, you can, this is probably not a one and done thing. This is something you're going to do throughout your, maybe throughout the rest of your life. You're going to be constantly asking the Lord, what is the lie I'm believing about you or myself? And when he reveals it to you, you just, you confess it to him and confessing, this is a really great definition I got from Luke about confession. Confession is agreeing with God that what you did was not within his will. So when we confess, we're just saying, Lord, I agree that that's not, that's not true. That's not what you want. And when we repent, repentance has a, is a pretty heavy word. Don't you guys think? Especially in our society, I think repentance has such a heavy connotation. We're almost like repentance seems like a bad thing. No, repentance is a great thing. Repenting means that you're changing your mind and you're, you're starting to believe something that's true and not false. When we repent, it's a positive change of mind. This is 
one of the best things we can do. I, it's a privilege every time I get to repent and, and join my mind more with Christ and believe more truth. So we say, Lord, I agree with you that um, I believe the lie. I agree with you that believing this about myself was untrue or believing this about you is untrue. I'm agreeing with you. And I'm saying that I'm no longer gonna believe that. And when you do that, when we take that step and what we're doing is we're applying faith to the word of God. We're believing that the word of God is true. We're applying faith, even just a little bit of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit bursts onto the scene. And the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us and charges us and moves us into a life where we're identifying sin, we're identifying lies and we're no longer dealing with them. We're being free from them. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, in what way would we ever limit God? God, I mean, I think anybody would say, God is capable of anything. There's, I, I won't limit him. It's the same deal with the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you just take the off of when you say the Holy Spirit, it's going to become a little more personal for you. Just start saying Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is a person that empowers us to live a sin-free life. So we're going to kind of um, start moving into a time. I'm going to welcome the worship team to come up now. And just in a couple moments, we're going to actually enter into a time of worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit's going to come fall fresh in this room and empower us to not sin and empower us to live a life of holiness and live a life pursuing God, where we're living our true identity. We're slaves to righteousness. A really um, awesome quote I heard recently from a pastor out in California. His name is Bill Johnson. He's a pretty big um, influence, influence on me. But he said, physical obedience brings spiritual release. Physical obedience brings spiritual release. And what this means is that when we acknowledge truth about ourselves physically, so maybe when you raise your hands in worship, even when you don't feel like it, or when you do an act of love for somebody, even when you don't, don't, you're not experiencing love for them. When you're doing that physical act, spiritual release comes, spiritual breakthrough comes. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers you and brings breakthrough in your life. So I just want to urge, I just want to encourage us. Let's do some physical obedience as we worship. Let's just enter into a time of physical obedience and see what happens and see if spiritual release comes. I just want to end by uh, reading Romans 8.32. Sorry, John 8.32. So I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but just trying to stick with me for one more second. John 8.32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This word know, it does have a logical connotation to it, like understanding knowledge, but really it means to experience. When you experience the truth, the truth will set you free. So that's what we're doing right now is we're just going to enter a time of experiencing the truth. And the truth is that God loves you and his presence is here. So I'm just going to pray really quick and then we're going to enter into a time of experiencing the truth and worshiping God. So Lord, we just welcome your presence and we want to experience you in a real way. We love you so much, and you are the focus of our hearts. You're the focus of our attention. So come and just fill this place, and uh, yeah, let us just draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.